Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 28. I do want to thank Pastor for the opportunity of letting me come and be with you today. Uh, God has blessed us in so many different ways. Missions is very dear to my heart because I was saved in Spain through a missionary by the name of Eddie Woodfield that come over to uh, Rota, Spain to start a church for military folks to try to reach uh, GIs for Christ. One of my big drinking buddies had uh, gotten saved uh, through the death of one of his children. And uh, Brother Woodfield uh, really helped and worked in their life, and Chris got saved. And, and while I was half in the bag one night, Chris come and talk to me and, and talk me and going to church. Got out there and for the first time in my life, I remember hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I put my faith in Christ September 21st, 1975. And God just really burdened my heart for the military folks and the, many of them like me. So I went back as a missionary uh, to the military. I went to Tennessee Temple Bible College there and graduated in about two and a half years. And a month after we graduated, we was back on the mission field uh, trying to get the gospel to those military folks. And we worked that for about eight years. When the bases started closing, we worked in Germany and Spain and Italy, starting churches, all, all those different places. And we came back uh, because the bases were all closing. And we took a church in Sedalia, Missouri, and God just was blessing church had doubled its size and the missions quadrupled and God was just doing some amazing things and we're in a mission conference and I'm praying for our young people and our folks in the church God have some of them surrender you know their lives to missions and everything and I'm sitting about right here on our platform and God said uh, you're going to Africa I said wait a minute God I'm the pastor you're supposed to call those folks he said, you're going. I said, yes, sir. We spent 21 years in Uganda, East Africa, some of the best years of my life, bringing the gospel to people that would never hear. I was thinking while these kids were up here singing, there's entire countries, entire countries in Africa that they had, these kids are all going to hell, all of them. All of them. They've never heard about Christ. And unless we get some people there, they're going to die and never, ever in this world hear about Christ. I, I, I beg you to pay close attention. I want you to be back tonight. I've always wondered, you know, God said he, he fed the 5,000, which actually may be up to 15,000, but... I want to show you a, a, just a modern-day miracle tonight and how God 
did so much more and in, in, in Uganda there. And it just, it, it's absolutely a miracle of God. And we're going to go through all of this uh, tonight and, and talk about the insurrection and the rebels and the Coney and all of these different things. And have you, anybody ever heard of Coney? He's one of the fellows that, that comes in, captures the high school, and, and, and takes all the child soldiers, makes them child soldiers. I'm going to go through some of that and how it all transpires and what, what they do tonight. So I really want you to be back tonight. But uh, this morning, uh, boy, I tell you, God blessed us. You, you've got a beautiful prophet's chamber here. Uh, very comfortable and, and just... Man, I enjoyed myself. I think my eyes were closed. I, I just went, went to bed and boy, the lights went out. And I, somehow I woke up this morning and I was thankful of, of that. Now, if you're used to con or city folks, uh, you're going to get disappointed because I am purity country. And so we're going to have a good time. If you need a translator, I'll translate it after the service and we'll go from there. You think you have trouble. The Africans really had a fun time. <laughs> Matthew chapter 28. And we'll begin in verse number 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Jesus had appointed them a meeting, a time, a place. If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have an appointment with God. You can make that appointment today and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Or you can put off your appointment like so many do, but one day you will meet with Jesus Christ and bow your knee to the Lord and Savior, but it'll be too late then. I wanna, want you to think about and to illustrate what I'm talking about this morning, I want to talk about the Titanic. The Titanic, they said, was an unsinkable ship. Yet on April 15, 1912, it sank. They said God himself could not sink her. Don't ever test God. 1,502 souls went out into eternity in 31 degree water. Now, I don't know about you, but I like ice cream. Especially homemade ice cream. Six eggs, two cups of sugar, four teaspoons of vanilla, add milk, pass the fill line, start cranking 20 minutes, start to finish. Best thing you ever put in your mouth. We've worn out ice cream freezers on the mission field. 
I mean the good one. When you put that salt on the water, it melts, but it remains at sub-zero temperature. That's what freezes your ice cream. And if you've ever went, put, stuck your hand down in that, it don't take long for you to pull it out. It hurts. It really does. I mean, it hurts. These people, when they were jumping off that ship and when, they, when the ship was going down and everything, the water temperature, they said, was 31 degrees. You say, well, I've heard people say, well, they, they died of hyperthermia. No, hyperthermia don't set in until about 30, 30 minutes after uh, at that, that temperature. History tells us that they did, first of all, they didn't have enough lifeboats on board. They, they thought that they wouldn't need them, so they didn't have enough on board. And then most of them with the capacity of the lifeboat was about 60 people, okay? Many of the lifeboats, when they started putting them out, went out with four, five, ten people. And they rode as fast as they could to get away from the ship because when it sinks, it draws all the, everything down with it and everything. But it wasn't the hyperthermia. You see, when you get jump into that cold water, you have what's called a cold shock. It, many times it would even cause people to have a heart attack right there because the shock is so great in 31-degree water. But within just a minute, it starts drawing the, the heat out of your body and away from your body 25 times faster than if you're out in 31-degree weather. And it literally sucks that energy. It sucks that heat out of your body. And in order to... to maintain life, what happens is your body automatically starts pooling the blood around your core to keep you alive. Well, what happens is now your fingers that used to be able to grab even a little old penny off of the, off of the, the table, you can't even grab a rope that's thrown to you because they don't work anymore. When you're out there trying to tread water, your arms start stopping to work. You can't move them. I've watched videos where they took 45-degree weather and took Olympic swimmers out and dumped them in that 45-degree weather, and within about 15 minutes, they had to pull them out they were going to drown. I mean strong swimmers. But within just a short time, and I watched, they'd throw ropes, and they could not even get their arms and their hands to grab a hold of the ropes. Within about 30 minutes, you really are struggling and many times the struggle and the fight and trying to stay up and trying to tread water, but your, your legs aren't working, your arms aren't working, and, and many of them do have heart attacks at that stage. They're struggling so much. 
If you could last for about 45 minutes, that's when hypothermia between 35 and 45 minutes, then hypothermia sets in and, and you begin to lose consciousness and you just literally sink beneath the water and die. What a tragedy. No, that, that's not what the, what the tragedy was. You see, the people that rode them boats out away from the ship that had four and five people in them, maybe 10 or 20, and the boat would hold 60, they stayed out there for an hour after the ship had gone down. I was in the Navy aircraft carrier over in Vietnam, and when they would slow things down, and you get out there, and it's just a deathly silence. You can hear a pin drop. I mean, you could hear things for, for just a half a mile, probably. Can you imagine sitting in that boat and you're sitting there and you're safe and you're listening to those hundreds and hundreds of people bobbing up and down the water. Come back! Come back! Help! And it says, they, as they interviewed these people later on, they said even years and years afterwards, they, many of them committed suicide. They said, we cannot get that out of our mind. The screams of those people calling us to come back. And we sit there with the oars in our hands. And we did not move a muscle. Listening to the screams. Listening to them calling for us to come back. And finally, after the, the cries begin to cease and, and, and about an hour has gone by, they picked up the oars and started rowing back. But by then, it's too late. It was entirely too late. Most people go to hell because no one will come back. Oh, you're in the boat. See, you're the one, you're saved. And we, 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 we rejoice in that. You're in the boat and you've got a hold of the oars. But over and over you've heard missionaries come into this church. You've heard pastors come into this church and say, come over and help us. Come over and help us. Come soul winning. Get up off your couch and let's go knock on some doors. Let's go pass out some gospel to John and Romans. And you sit there in your boat with the oars in your hand. And you don't move a muscle. I'm here for a reason not to entertain you. 
I'm here to help you pick up the oars. Because there is a world out there that is dying and going to hell. And you are the key. I'd like to read for you a letter that was sent to one of my colleagues. It's from Bambuare Mojo, from Windy Settlement, Buconzo. He said, Dear Pastor, reference, very important issue. Now understand, this is a pygmy chief. We worked with the pygmies many different times over there. I remember going out to the village and they come jumping up and down and just greeting us and, and shouting and boy, they were so excited and we was able to, to talk with them and meet them and, and they, they'd all sit down out here on the grass and, and I just, you know, ain't no pulpits or microphones, you just grab your Bible and, and just start walking around and preaching the gospel. We had 30 little pygmies put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ that day. I could go on for hours just there. But this pygmy chief, there was a serious problem. And he sent a runner. He was down almost to the Rwandan border, and he sent a runner all the way up to the capital city of Kampala to find whoever had given a track. It was a chick track called Going Home. And that chick track called Going Home, it's, it's done, the, the people in the track, they have the African dress on, it's, it's done for Africa, and, and they, they, it talks about this guy's got AIDS and, and, and how he can get saved and all this, that, and the other. And this village chief, this pygmy chief, had got this track and he sent a runner all the way to the capital city to Kampala with this letter trying to find whoever sent it. And by God's grace, he found my colleague. By the way, his wife just died last week over there. And they're bringing her home. He said, Dear Pastor, very important issue. Your booklet going home was passed to me by a friend on 28 May. And after reading it, I just got confused because I had never heard before of any person called Jesus who can give eternal life. But before telling you my request, let me share with you this shocking news. Number one, I and my three wives have AIDS virus. My first wife died on 14th February, leaving behind two children. Number two, as I'm writing these words, I don't have any hope of living for six months ahead. I have a strong skin rash and big open wounds over, all over my body. I was told by my doctor that my days are now numbered. Number three, I have a sister who's also very sick of AIDS. Our family is gone. We don't have any hope, Pastor. In my village, people are dying like insects. We don't want anything from you, but send us or come personally somebody who can teach us more about this man Jesus and this eternal life. You know, we can die any time from today, 
but I have arranged the 24th June, Thursday, to send someone to meet you in our town of Windy. It's about 300 miles from Kampala, and it costs 23,000 shillings to reach our station. That's 46,000 to and from. Please, this amount is nothing compared to our lives. We, need, we only need to know God's word and be prepared before our death. If that person comes, or you personally, ask at Mr. Kenobi's store, and you'll find my messenger there to bring you to our village. There's not any preacher around here. The place is full of Muslims only. I'm the chief of this village, and I've invited a lot of people to come on 25th June. I'm expecting a gathering to be around 500 people, so please make sure you don't fail. We prefer a person that knows Luganda and Swahili language to come because those are the languages they can understand. Please, please, please come without fail or send a person with the Word of God, and that's why I've sent this letter in advance of two weeks. If possible, we shall refund your money of transport. We're looking to meet you without fail. Guambale Nkojo a dying man without hope. This letter is brought by hand through a friend who is determined to look for you. He found the missionary. They went down to the village. They went out to the village. The runner was there, the messenger to take them out there. They preached. That about 120 people received Christ. There was over 70 people baptized that day. But the village chief already died. It was too late. It was too late. For kids like this, I bury them all the time over there. Look, in our, in our, when we have somebody work for us on our compound or anything like that, we have to put in their contract how many days they can take off a week for burials. They could go to a different burial every day of the week. I can't tell you the number of times I buried kids just like this. And people just like you. You've got the oars in your hand. You've heard the messages over and over. I, I wish I could go on. I could go on for hours and hours of some of the testimonies. But look back in the scriptures in Matthew chapter 28. He said, Jesus had appointed them a time. There's a principle we learn here. It's called obedience. You see, God has given you a pastor. You didn't vote a pastor in. God gives you a pastor. And God works through that pastor, and he sets up appointments. One of them is called Sunday school. Where were you for your appointment? He just made an announcement. He said, we have an appointment over, over at this other church Crossroads? What? Cornerstone. And he said, we have an appointment to be over there. 
You ought to be there. Why? Because God has led him to make an appointment for this church. And if you're a part of this church, that appointment's for you. What if the disciples just didn't show up? What if they said, well, I got something else to do? I'm too busy or, well, I've had a hard day at work. I think I'll just stay home. I wonder what Jesus would have thought about that. Well, Sunday school, that's an hour early. I, I could get another hour of sleep or I could watch the news or something. We miss appointments. God set appointments. We'll throw rocks at students that have to drop out because or get kicked out of class because they didn't come to class. They missed their appointment. If somebody, young person, working for us and they don't show up on time or show up, maybe they just didn't even come to work that day. Boy, I mean, tell you, we're ready to fire them. We're ready to hang them by the yard on. But we as adults, God has given us appointments. How are we doing? On our responsibility. It talks about dependability. That's faithfulness here. They did go. They showed up. They were on time here. You're in the boat. They had the opportunity, they had the ability, they had everything that they needed to row back and rescue those people, those 1,502 people that went out into eternity that were screaming, Come back! Help! They could have picked up those oars and started rowing, and they might not have saved all of them, but they could have saved some of them. I tell my people, I, I don't want you to, I don't expect you to win your whole village to Christ. I just want you to win one person and disciple that person all year. That's all I want you to do, that one thing. Every church, listen, if every one of you do what God said and win one person, Every one of us knows lost people. If you give the gospel and win one person to Christ and disciple that person, in one year this church would double its size. It's not the preacher's fault that there's space in these benches. It's our fault. We got the oars. We're in the boat. We tell, you can tell me they're lost out there. But we sit there. And we don't move those oars. And we think God's going to say, well done now, good and faithful servant. I think not. I think not. Could the Titanic people have depended on you. Because you're in the boat. The problem is the same that it was when Jesus, in verse number 17, says, when, he saw, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
A lot of people come to independent Baptist churches and worship, and they don't care whether the whole world dies and goes to hell. You say, how do you know that? They never tell anybody. 75% of the independent Baptist people never give the gospel. 93% of the evangelicals don't think it's of any importance or value to give the gospel to anyone. And we wonder why America's like it is today. You can blame Biden all you want. I'll be right beside you, but you, that's not the problem. The problem is not in, in the government. The problem is in our churches. We've got the oars in our hand. But we are not rowing back to rescue anyone. He says in Mark 16, 14, not 16, 15, where he says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But the verse before it says he upbraided them. That means in purity old Kansas terminology, he chewed them out. Why did Jesus chew his disciples out? He upbraided them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart. That's exactly where we're at today. We don't believe they will get saved. We don't believe that we're going to do any good. And our hearts have got so cold, we've been out there in the water, and we couldn't tread water if we wanted to. Our hardness of heart. Our unbelief. I, I heard an atheist one time. He was talking about atheism in our, in our Sunday school this morning. I heard an atheist one time, and they've got, they published his quote. He said, look, if... I believed what you're selling. I would crawl through broken glass to get the gospel to someone. We have the convenience, we have vehicles, we have the Bibles, we have seminars, we have, we have teaching, we have video, we have everything at our disposal, and we don't go. Why? Unbelief. And a cold, hard heart. We don't believe the messengers God sends to us. I know Brother Bedine. He was here a few weeks ago, last week. I guarantee you he gave you the plea to come. He gave you the challenge to go. I know these missionaries. I don't know the guy coming next week. I know the other two that you had. And, and I know Brother Fielder. He helped us translate a New Testament in the Runyon Corre language for the people I work. If you could have seen their faces and see them just absolutely jump and run, I mean, just, just literally weeping when they get the Word of God. We don't have an idea of what 
people have to suffer the rest of this world. We are so content. We are so self-satisfied. And we think, well, they're going to, you know, we say we don't believe in Calvinism. We do. We, we do it because of our actions. We, we said, well, they're going to get there. If they're going to, you know, God wants them there. They're going to get there. And that's why we don't go. There's a whole lot more Calvinists in our churches than we'd like to believe. Notice in verse number 18, And Jesus came and spake to them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. This is not the word dunamis. I've heard preachers preach this. They say, this is a dynamite. No, no, this is exousia. This means authority. All authority is given to me in heaven and earth. How many of you believe that? I dare say you don't. Why? Because when he has all the authority, see, this is the key to discipleship. Discipleship is bringing that new convert to the understanding that Jesus is the authority. He owns me. And if he says, do this, I do it. If he says, don't do that, I don't do it. That's, I'm obeying authority. When he says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, do we obey? Absolutely, it is God's will that every person, every child of God be involved in missions. Every child of God. Why? Because he gave the command to go into all the world. If you're not going over there, you better put it in place. You better get serious about praying for these, these missionaries. You have no idea what they go through. The war, the insurrection broke out right behind our house over there in Soroti. I'll tell you about it tonight. If you make your appointment. See, God gave you an appointment, and that's why he told the pastor to have church on Sunday night. If they made a different appointment and went someplace else, I'm not sure Jesus would be too happy with that. He said, boy, you're rough. No, I'm not. I'm just being honest with you, folks. Look, we've got to get serious in America. We don't have a whole lot of time left. I believe Jesus is coming. He has the right to tell me what to do, where to go, how to act, how not to go, not to, what to do, all of that stuff. He is the authority. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want to renew your mind this morning. You're sitting there with oars in your hand and you're not moving. I want you to start moving them oars. I don't care how you do it, where you do it. That's up to you and God. I just want you to start moving them oars. He said, this is a perfect will of God. 